If you've got your Bible with you, we're going to read from John chapter 8. This evening, John chapter 8. And I'm going to read just from verse 1. John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. We'll end there and we thank the Lord for his word to us again. This, of course, is a story of the woman caught in adultery and brought before the Lord Jesus. And I think one thing that makes this story particularly interesting is that some versions place a question mark over its inclusion in this part of John's Gospel. There's no question it actually happened, but based on the original manuscripts, it's hard for the scholars to say exactly when. So just for a moment, I want to take you back into chapter 7 and see if there's anything that we can learn from the events leading up to this encounter as we find it here in our Bibles tonight. In verse 10 of chapter 7, for example, we see Jesus making his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this was a feast that commemorated God's provision to his people after he delivered them out of Egypt. It says in Leviticus 23, you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year, a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month and you shall dwell in booths or in tents for seven days. All Israel shall dwell in tents. At this time, the leaders of the synagogue were getting increasingly riled with what the Lord Jesus was teaching. So much so that they wanted to kill him. And in verse 19 of chapter 7, he challenges them and says, Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth it? Why go ye about to kill me? These were men who revered the law. It was their life. And yet this man whom they hated was challenging them on the very law that they love. And they were scared. They were scared to take him on. They were worried the people would rebel. They were afraid that they'd somehow got it wrong. Nobody had ever said these things before. In verse 45 of chapter 7, on the seventh day of the feast, 
on the final day in the feast, we read that in verse 37. In verse 45, we read that the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees and said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? Why have ye not caught him yet? And the officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them, The Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed? But this people who knoweth not the law, in other words, the people around about them, who don't know the law like we know the law, they are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, said, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. These men lived for the law. The law of God was their life. The law that God had given Moses was their comfort. This was the thing that they, that they were trusting in. They upheld its standard. They ensured its adherence. They protected its honor. The law mattered to them more than anything else in the world. Their conversation centered around it. And it was on this basis, the basis of the law, that they intended to trap the Lord Jesus. But notice what they did. Every man went to his own house. Why are we told that detail, do you think? And why are we then told that Jesus didn't? Jesus went onto the Mount of Olives. On the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles, when all of Israel were to dwell in tents for all seven days of the feast, every man went to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. You see, they really didn't know who they were dealing with. They were conspiring to take the incarnate God of heaven, intending to catch him out on his adherence to the very law that he had written. It'd be like one of our young people ringing up Shakespeare and trying to catch him out with clever knowledge of Macbeth because they'd read it twice in school. That's what they were trying to do. These law-breaking amateurs were trying to take on the perfect law-keeper at his own specialist subject. That's why it's important to establish that this event happened clearly immediately after the Feast of Tabernacles. A feast the Pharisees had elected not to fully observe, while Christ observed it to the letter. And it was under this law that they wanted to catch him out. Do you know, they really didn't know who they were dealing with. And I think you could say that about a lot of people in this world, people who stand against God. They haven't a clue who they're dealing with. They're dealing with the God of heaven. The God who created everything. The God who holds their very breath in his hand. People don't know what they're dealing with. On the morning after the feast, Jesus returns to the temple where he'd been teaching. And all the people came to see him. There was a crowd. And he sat down and he taught them from the scriptures. And into the midst of the crowd, the Pharisees bring a woman. They'd maybe known about her for a while. They'd maybe gone looking for her. 
But this wasn't just a random occurrence. These men weren't genuinely looking for advice from the Savior. Nor did they really want her to die. What they wanted was for the Lord to either publicly break the law or publicly endorse a murderous act. But either way, they'd have him. That was the moment they were looking for. This was their plan. And to be honest, it's a pretty good one. Moses had commanded in the law. Leviticus 20, verse 10, that the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, both of them have committed an abomination before the Lord. And so both adulterer and adulteress were to be put to death. That was the law. And the woman didn't argue with it. She had knowingly broken the vow of her marriage. She had broken the trust in her relationship. She had broken the law of God. She was a sinner. And the law of God condemns the sinner. That's absolutely true. The law of God condemns the sinner. And we know this. We know when things are wrong. We know unfaithfulness is wrong. We know abusive behavior is wrong. We know murder is wrong. Our own conscience tells us that they're wrong. That's why we have laws. That's why we have consequences. It's why we feel so strongly when we see somebody get away with doing wrong. Because wrongdoing should be punished. We all agree with that. And this woman was accused of doing wrong. It's not nice to be accused, is it? Especially if it feels unjustified. Nobody likes to be accused of being a sinner. Called out on something that we've done, whether that's at home or in work. Could be something big or just a word spoken out of place. But none of us likes the spotlight to be shone on our sin. She was accused of being a sinner and against the law she couldn't argue with it. She'd been caught in the act. Against the law, she couldn't argue. Maybe there's someone listening at home or maybe even here in the church and you'd object if I called you a sinner. If you ever measured your life against the law of God, whether you're a sinner or not, isn't according to your definition of sin, it's according to His. He's the marker of goodness, not us. You ever watch the child trying to measure themselves against somebody in the family to show how tall they are? They'll stand shoulder to shoulder and do this kind of thing. That's that's like what we do. From their perspective, they're tall. But that's their perspective. It's not a true reflection of height. It's only when they stand against an actual standardized measurement that they can see their true height. Someone who's a little bit shorter, if they want to feel really small, they'll stand beside a tall person. But put them in a group of smaller people and they feel 10 feet tall. And that's how we treat sin. Oh yes, I'm a sinner if you're going to compare me to God. But I mean, compared to most people, I'm practically perfect. But that's not how it works. The law of God is the standard and the law of God condemns the sinner. She was a sinner, and the Pharisees knew the punishment. Master, they said this woman was taken in adultery in the very act, and Moses in the law commanded us that she should be stoned. Moses said the punishment of sin is death. 
and they weren't wrong. That was the law God gave to Moses. The punishment of sin is death. But then people say, oh, but there's levels to sin, isn't there? An eye for an eye and all that. You kill an innocent person, and yes, many would agree, murderer, a murderer should die. They should deserve the punishment of death. But not adultery. Not stealing something. I mean, that's a bit strong, isn't it? It's a bit archaic. Just killing people because they don't follow your rules. God gave those laws to Moses. They were to be the laws of the land of Israel. They're not the laws of our land. And for good reason. We can be so thankful that we live in a land where our laws are reasonable. They're just. They're fair. But so is the law of God. And God's law still says adultery is a sin. Theft is a sin. Pride is a sin. Lust is sin. Greed is sin. And the punishment of sin is death. Now, that doesn't give anybody the right to drag someone into the street and stone them. But it does give God the right to call you a sinner. And God's punishment for sin is death. Eternal death. Eternal darkness. Eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from life. Eternal separation from hope. It's not a jolly with your mates the way some people think it is. The punishment of eternal death is absolute emptiness, loneliness, and pain. For literally ever. And yet, the Lord Jesus didn't tell them to stone her. She was a sinner. Tick. The law of God condemns sinners. Tick. The punishment for sin is death. Tick. And yet the Lord, the perfect keeper of the law, didn't tell them to stone her. Instead, he just quietly stooped and wrote in the dust with his finger. So they asked him again, Master, this woman was taken in adultery. She's a sinner. She was taken in the very act. She's a guilty sinner. Moses in the law speaks about exactly this case. She's a guilty sinner condemned. And Moses said we have to stone her. She's a guilty sinner condemned to die. Master, what are you going to do about that? Here we have a guilty sinner condemned to die and an audience that knows exactly what she's done. So-called son of God, keeper of the law. What are you going to do about that? And Jesus, in all fullness of wisdom, grace, mercy, love, said, he that is without sin, let him first cast a stone. And again, he stooped and wrote on the ground. 
Folks, the law of God condemns the sinner. That's a fact. But the law of God also convicts the righteous. The law of God convicts the righteous. We've seen already these Pharisees were far from perfect. They didn't even fully obey the law. They professed to love. But I tell you one thing. You wouldn't have found a more upright, law-abiding, good-living group of people anywhere on earth. No matter how good you think you are right now, you couldn't hold a torch to the Pharisees. They followed protocol like you wouldn't believe. They maintained a standard that would put every single one of us to shame. And yet when the Son of God called them out in their sin, they didn't have a leg to stand on. Verse 9 says, And they which heard it being convicted, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. He that is without sin, let him first cast the stone. They couldn't do it. They couldn't in all conscience say, I'm innocent. I stand here confidently in the sight of God with the right to judge another person for their sin. They couldn't do it. Could you? Imagine you were in one of those game shows where a large number of contestants gets whittled down to a smaller group and then eventually that smaller group competes for the final prize. You know the kind of thing, Saturday Night TV classic. The producers of that show, they know everything you've ever done. And if everything you've ever said, everything you've ever thought. And one by one, they eliminate every contestant based on the level of their sin. And by the way, it wouldn't be you judging whether it was sin or not, it would be them. They would decide what constituted sin. How do you think you'd fare against everyone in your family? How do you think you'd fare against everyone in work? How would you fare against the people around you in church? Top half? Final 20? Maybe even competing for the prize? But if they were to say, okay, for everyone that reaches the final 10, if we detect even a single sin in your life, a solitary wrong thought, a wrong motive, a single slip, If we detect anything at all, not only will you leave with nothing, you'll also lose your life. Would you be confident enough to take that risk? Would your conscience allow you to do it? I wouldn't think so. Because deep down, we all know what we are. We are sinners. We've broken the law of God. You can sit here, sit at home, go to work, raise your family, do everything with a level of incredible decency and flawless integrity, even religiously, to the point that no one would ever say a bad word about you. But if you allow the law of God to shine in your heart, you'll see yourself for what you really are, a sinner like everyone else. We're all sinners. He that is without sin, let him first cast a stone, and one by one they walked away. There's a lot of speculation about what the Lord did when he wrote in the ground. 
Was he maybe writing out their names? Their sins? Perhaps listing some of the laws they'd broken or even just drawn a tent. He might not have written anything particular at all, just a convicting sound of silence. The deafening realization of their own sin, but either way, the Spirit of God was at work. Maybe there is someone tonight sitting at home listening. The Spirit of God is at work in your heart. If you feel the convicting force of God calling out your sin, don't ignore it. Maybe you've heard it before and just brushed it off, somehow managed to ignore the deafening silence of conviction. That's the Spirit of God working in your heart. These men were convicted. Some of them slower to respond than others. Did you notice that? It says they went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. I wonder, is there someone listening and there's something holding you back from responding? Something holding you back from getting right with God? Is it your age? I'm too young. Still so much I want to do in my life. I don't want to get bogged down with all this Christian stuff. Too old? So there's no point now. I've lived the life I've lived. There's no point going back. God will not forgive all those sins of the past. Maybe it's your family. They'll never understand if I get saved. If I trust in the Lord to remove my sin, they'll not get it. People in work. Imagine having to explain to them that I'm now a follower of Christ. Maybe it's your pride. Conversion's not for me. It's for those that actually need it. It's for proper sinners. Not like me. But as the deafening silence went on, every one of them responded. They left, knowing they were no better than this woman. Not before God. And not one of them had the right to stand in his presence because that's what's going to happen. Every one of us will appear in the presence of God at the end of our lives and you won't be marked against your work colleague. You won't be marked against your husband or the local criminals. You'll be marked against the holy standard of God. And if you don't have Jesus, you'll be unable to stand in his presence and he'll cast you into outer darkness. That's why we preach Christ. Because in Christ we stand, sins forgiven. Not because we're better than anybody else. We know we're not. But because we pleaded with him to take them away. And he did. He said, if any man come to me, I will in no wise, I will in no way cast you out. And because we come to Christ, he has clothed clothed us in perfect righteousness so that we can stand forgiven in his presence. Why would you not want that? The law of God condemns the sinner. The law of God convicts the righteous. There's no escape. The perfect law of God condemns us all. And whether we like it or not, he alone has the right to set the standard. For he alone keeps it in perfection. The law of God condemns the sinner. The law of God convicts the righteous. But finally, 
It's the Lamb of God that converts the soul. The Lamb of God converts the soul. When this woman was brought into the temple, she was set down in the midst of a crowd. Scribes and Pharisees standing over her and the crowd around her. But as Jesus lifted himself up, verse 10 says he saw no one but the woman. He saw no one but the woman. I don't think that means literally no one. Is the crowd still there in verse 12? But certainly there were no accusers. There was no one to condemn her. And in that moment, it didn't matter that a crowd was watching. It didn't matter that everyone knew everything she had done. It didn't matter that she was a sinner. Because in that moment, Jesus only had eyes for her. And she only had eyes for him. You see, although we come to church and we're part of a fellowship, part of a body, part of a family, so many of us can think back to that moment when the Lord Jesus fixed his eyes on us. And the moment he focused his attention on us, it was like there was nobody else in the world. This isn't about what church you belong to or the family upbringing you had or what others think of you. None of that matters. At the end of your life, that won't be the question you'll be asked. The question asked will be, what do you think of Jesus? What did you do that time he fixed his eyes on you? Did you recognize your need? Did you acknowledge you were a sinner? Did you seek his pardon? When Jesus asked the question, where are your accusers? He's not asking everybody else. He's asking you. He's not asking what you've done. He already knows. He's not asking you to fix it. Because he knows you can't. When Jesus asks, where are your accusers? He's asking, do you know who has the right to condemn you for your sins? You see, it was never the right of the Pharisees. They were acting in the place of God. They had no right to judge this woman. And nobody in this world has the right to judge you for watching your heart. But Jesus does. Where are your accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And listen to her reply. She says, no man, Lord. Lord, there is none to accuse me but you alone. Folks, that's a declaration of faith. Faith isn't about living a life worthy of Christ. It's not about cleaning yourself up to be as presentable as you can. It's not about looking the part. It's simply about acknowledging Jesus is the only one worthy to judge. And knowing that we are nothing more than sinners in his sight. That's all he wants from us. All of us. She said, Lord, sovereign ruler, you alone are the one that I stand condemned before. A sinner condemned to die. Jesus said unto her in verse 11, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. 
Pharisees couldn't have done that. Your friends can't do that. They can't atone for your sin. Neither can a church, a pope, a priest. Only the Lord Jesus can pardon you from sin. And all he asks is that we humbly acknowledge him as Lord. Believe in him as the only hope for our soul. Come before him and plead forgiveness for sins forever. The law of God condemns the sinner. The law of God convicts the righteous. But the wonderful message of the gospel is that the Lamb of God converts the soul. The Lord Jesus is a quiet, humble, sacrificial lamb took our punishment upon himself on the cross. Punishment of death he never deserved because he never broke the law of God. But we did. Yet through the cross, his righteousness can be applied to our hearts. We can be forgiven, set free from our sin and converted to Christ because he died for us. This woman was brought into the temple a guilty sinner. She walked out a child of God. For any who don't know the Lord tonight, that can be your experience too. If you humbly fall before him, acknowledge your sin and declare him as Lord. He didn't ask her to sort herself out and then come back. He didn't ask her to get back with her husband and then have another go at it. He didn't ask her to get the Pharisees back on side and then try again. He said, you're free. Neither do I, the perfect Son of God, condemn thee. Go and sin no more. She was changed in an instant. Changed for all eternity. Saved forevermore. No condemnation. But she was a sinner. No condemnation. Even though none is righteous. No condemnation even though she was guilty. No condemnation even though the law condemned her. No condemnation even though her punishment was death. Folks, that's what it means to be redeemed. Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee free from your sin forever. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. If you don't know the Lord tonight, I pray that you'll come. Bow before him a sinner and plead salvation for your soul. But if you do know him, then praise God tonight for his goodness toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No condemnation now I dread. Let's praise him for that now as we sing our closing hymn. Beautiful hymn, 354. No condemnation now I dread is in one of those latter verses. We'll sing it. But the first verse, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me? 
who caused his pain for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be? If you believe those words, stand and sing them with all your heart tonight. We'll sing verses 1, 4, and 5, please, standing to sing. 1, 4, and 5.